What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 224 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our uh, social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, Definitely a lot to talk about, as you may have noticed on the uh, social pages earlier this morning. Um, You know, plenty Bruins and Celtics, obviously some Patriots stuff that we'll get to, uh, kind of a fast-moving offseason already, if you can believe it. Um, But great to be back with you folks. Uh, If you have not checked out last week's Guest Friday, I would uh, recommend that you go take a listen. It was uh, great to get uh, Colin Montgomery on the podcast. Colin's a good friend of mine playing in his senior season at Assumption University, so it was exciting to be able to finally get him on the program. So again, if you'd like to go listen to that, you can on the Apple and on Spotify. And uh, starting this week, you can read my uh, content at uh, Musket Fire, which is a fan-sided site uh, dedicated to the Patriots recently have uh, accepted a (laughs) contributor position at the site, so I'll be putting out my first article this week, so you can check that out as well. So I think we're going to get into the program today. Um, You know, I think we're going to probably lead with the Bruins today. Maybe not the uh, best day to be talking about the Bruins as uh, They are not playing their best hockey. I mean, honestly, I think if you've looked at the last couple of games, they probably are playing their worst hockey of the season, you know, and I think that clearly when we look at the overall success of this team this year, a three-game losing streak, you know, really is not the worst thing in the world. You know, this is really, this is the first time this season that they have dropped back-to-back games, first time that they've lost three in a row, so... You know, I think it's just how the season goes. And I think, you know, we kind of had been thinking that this was going to come at some point, that this is a team that's going to suffer some losses. You know, that's just what happens when you play 82 games in a season that you're not going to win every game, you know. And I think undoubtedly it's not surprising that this is the point that the Bruins are having some trouble, you know, going up against some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference some of the teams that you almost certainly are going to play in the playoffs. So, you know, and all these are road games as well. You know, this has not been an easy trip for the Bruins. You know, even the win last Monday against Montreal, or last Tuesday, I should say, was not an easy game. You know, that was a game that the Bruins were, maybe not behind is the right word, but they were, you know, locked in a tussle with the Montreal Canadiens and had to get a Patrice Bergeron goal late in the third period to take the win. So I really think that this whole trip has been somewhat of a challenge for this team. You know, obviously the the loss to Tampa Bay, a lot of mental mistakes in that game, and then, you know, not being able to get out of the third period in Florida with a 3-2 lead, you know, getting the letting the winning goal get in or the tying goal, I should say, getting in with less than five seconds left and then losing in overtime. And then just a game yesterday that the Bruins very clearly just didn't have it, you know, playing against a Carolina team that, you know, I think other than the Bruins, they might be the best team in the league. And so, you know, there are games that the Bruins are going to lose. And I think that, you know, it's... Not great, I guess, the the timing of recording today, but I think that it's not surprising that the Bruins are going through somewhat of a of a tough spell. You know, I think the, the power play is not operating where it needs to be. The Bruins are having too many mental lapses in terms of turning the puck over in really bad areas. You know, you saw that yesterday. You saw that against... Uh, Tampa Bay and Florida, you know, all the last three games, the Bruins have been turning the puck over in really bad areas. You know, I think 
You look at Pasternak and Carlo in particular with those turnovers yesterday. You know, Pasternak's turnover at the blue line leads to a breakaway the other way. And then, you know, Carlo just losing the puck to Seth Jarvis and he goes in untouched and makes it 3 nothing. So, you know, I just think that when you're playing teams like this, when you're playing teams like Carolina and Tampa Bay, you know, and Florida, Florida's not... I wouldn't call them a playoff team because obviously they're out of the playoffs right now. Um, but I think that they're still a tough opponent. And so I think when you're playing teams like this, you can't afford to have mistakes like that. And so, you know, yes, it's a learning experience because these are teams that you are almost certainly going to play in the playoffs. And so playing these types of kind of playoff style games on the road, you know, is good for your team, is good to be able to kind of feel like, okay, this is what it's going to feel like to go on the road in the spring. And, you know, I think win or win or lose, it's a good test to be like, okay, this is how we need to play. We can't have these miscues. We can't have these lapses, you know, and I think that the Bruins will probably be better for it. You know, this is a team that has responded when they've lost games, when they've had some bad play and, you know, the good thing is the Bruins do get some days off before they finish the road trip. And then it's, you know, 10 days before their next game. They have the all-star break and then their bye week after. So this is a team that's going to get a lot of time off. And I think getting a lot of time off at a good point, you know, where the Bruins are coming down to finish a really tough road trip, you know, a game or a road trip that they've not exactly played their best. And I think that it's, I don't want to say a wake-up call, because I don't think that's the right word, but I think it's just a way for the Bruins to see that, okay, you know, this is how these teams are going to play us in the playoffs. You know, we have to be ready. We have to be a team that, you know, can't make mental mistakes. And I think for the most part, they've avoided these mental mistakes. And it just so happens that they've happened recently. And so obviously they get magnified, but I think that this is obviously still a very good hockey team. But I do think that how some of these games have gone, it does tell me that I think the Bruins do kind of need a, I don't want to say a massive upgrade, but they are going to need to kind of make an upgrade at the trade deadline. This is not, I think this is no longer a team that can just go in and make some kind of margin type moves and get better in you know small areas like I think that you watch the way that Carolina played yesterday you're going to need a little bit more I think in the offensive in the offensive area now I think yes Carolina is an outstanding home team you know and I think it's one game you know the Bruins did beat Carolina earlier this season but I do think that they're going to need to do something other than kind of just running it back. And I understand that there's an argument to be made that, okay, you don't want to be making a major move to mess up, you know, team chemistry or things like that. And I don't think they necessarily have to do that. You know, I don't think they need to trade Brandon Carlo or Matt Grizzlick or, you know, some people have mentioned Taylor Hall in the last couple of weeks. But I don't know if that's, you know, legitimate or not. But I think the Bruins have to do seriously consider getting kind of a major offensive piece. Now, is it going to be Bo Horvat? You know, I would be surprised because I just don't know how the Bruins are going to be able to, you know, make that money work. What's a trade package that the Bruins could offer Vancouver that is better than what other teams can offer? You know, what other players are out there? Could the Bruins look at a St. Louis player like Vladimir Tarasenko? You know, is it more realistic that they look at someone like Jonathan Taves? And I think, you know, with all of these guys, there's going to be some money that's going to need to work. And I think the Bruins are going to need to have to, you know, do kind of some cap gymnastics to, you know, make any of these moves work. So... You know, I think that for me, it's another offensive player, you know, someone that 
you know, I don't think it necessarily has to be a goal scorer, but someone that's going to kind of reinforce what you've been able to do from an offensive standpoint. Um, and I do think that, yes, the Bruins don't have Jake DeBrusque. They haven't had him for a few weeks. And I think, you know, that is also part of the reason why I think the offense has kind of gone dry over the last couple of games, particularly, particularly on the power play. Um, so I think getting him back is going to be huge. But I do think that, okay, you get someone in kind of the middle six area, maybe that can pepper in some goals. But then I also think defensively, the Bruins are going to need to, you know, look into another defenseman. You know, I think preferably someone that can play on the right side. The Bruins are a little bit thin in that area. So looking at someone like Luke Shen or, you know, someone else, I think, getting someone that can withstand the physical play in the postseason and kind of just give you an extra body because you never know when you might need it. And I think, sure, the Bruins could still keep Mike Riley on the roster and play him in the playoffs, but I don't know. That's not something that makes me feel comfortable. I think just with the fact that he's played in Providence for the majority of the season, and it's just how fresh is he going to be in terms of coming into the NHL playoffs if you need him, you know, and I also think that sure, is there a possibility the Bruins can fold him into a trade to make money work? I think that that's possible. You know, Craig Smith is also someone that I think could be folded into a trade in terms of the uh, money that he's making. So, you know, I do think that there does need to be some moves, you know, based on how the last couple of games have gone, because you're going to need shots in the arm during the playoffs when you undoubtedly go through a couple games where it's getting difficult to score. You know, the Bruins, I think particularly power play-wise, have been really, really poor. You know, I think that guys are just, I think, you just can tell that the Bruins, I think, are trying to do too much. And that was kind of the case yesterday as they, you know, had trouble even maintaining maintaining possession of the puck in the offensive zone when they had the power plays. So, you know, I'm not really sure what it is. It just could be one of those dry spells where, you know, you're going to need to continue to work at it, you know, and maybe guys need to stop being a little bit individualistic. You know, guys need to be more connected and play better as a unit. And I think that really that could be something that you could, you know, extrapolate out to the entire team, that the whole team needs to play better as a unit, that, you know, mental mistakes and mental lapses can't happen. And look, they're going to happen. You know, I think that it's unreasonable to expect that the Bruins were going to be able to play at this breakneck pace the entire season, that they were just going to roll through the entire NHL. You're clearly going to have moments like this where, you lose some games, you know, and I think that it's can kind of be a good thing that you're going through adversity because you don't want to be rolling through the entire regular season and then you deal with adversity in game three of the first round of the playoffs, you know. You don't want to have to be dealing with something like that for the first time all season in the first round of the playoffs. So I think better to have them struggle now than struggle in May. You know, I think that's kind of how I see it. But, you know, I think in terms of to try to dig out of it, it's to get back to what you're good at. And what you're good at is playing with play, playing with pace, playing good in transition, and, you know, limiting mental mistakes, limiting turnovers and bad areas, you know, and doing what you can to help out your goaltender, you know, and I think that that starts with not turning the puck over in your own zone, not turning the puck over, you know, high in the attacking zone where, you know, it's dangerous that can lead to breakaways the other way. You know, I think it's just playing smart hockey. Um, and I think that when you're playing teams like this, the teams that they're playing right now, you know, you have to be at your best mentally you know you can't be having mistakes like this um, because teams like this will kill you Carolina will kill you Tampa Bay will kill you Toronto will kill you and so 
you know, I think it's good for the Bruins to be able to f be facing teams like this at this current moment because it gives you an idea of just how difficult it might be in the playoffs. And, you know, this is a, a team that's really going to have to deal with playing on the road for the next couple of weeks. You know, clearly Toronto's the next road game, you know, and then the Bruins have 10 days off. But then the rest of the month of February, the Bruins are only at the Garden three times. Washington, the Islanders, and Ottawa are the only home games that the Bruins play in February. And the rest of the games are on the road. Bruins have a Western Canada swing that comes up at the end of February where they'll play Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary. Now, not exactly, not exactly the best teams in the league. You know, Seattle's probably the best team out of those that they'll face, but... The Bruins, I think, got to be a little bit better um, in what they're doing in terms of playing on the road. Um, Mark McLaughlin made his season debut on Saturday in Florida, also played yesterday in Carolina. So good to see him in the lineup. Kapanen had played uh, some games recently, but then McLaughlin getting his chance uh, to play both these weekend games. That was good to see. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Bruins do um, against Toronto. Guys have had some minor injuries here and there. Charlie McAvoy slid into the boards really hard um, on Thursday night against Tampa Bay, but obviously he came back. Brandon Carlo and Trent Frederick, I think, have taken shots or taken block shots off, block shots off of their leg lately or recently, uh, but they've been fine. Uh, really no injury news for this team. Uh, Jake DeBrusque, haven't really heard much about him, but you got to think he maybe returns um, at some point in February. Uh, David Pasternak continues to just light up the league. He's only second in the league, three goals behind the league leader, Connor McDavid, with 41 goals. Pasternak has 38 goals on this season. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Bruins do in this game against Toronto. And then, you know, hopefully they can use those 10 days off in a positive way. You know, Pasternak and Olmark will be at the All-Star game next weekend. So be some good, uh, good opportunity for them to be able to mingle with their fellow players in the media. So that will be... Um, a fun event. It's always a fun event. The NHL All-Star Weekend with the uh, events, the skills competition on Friday, and then the three-on-three -three tournament. It's always fun. So the two of them will be participating in both of those um, events. It'll be very fun to watch. So I think that that's probably going to be it for the Bruins. Uh, last little bit, Pavel Zaka playing outstanding hockey. He's just a couple points away from equaling his career high in points of 36. He already has 33 points this season um, and is just playing some outstanding hockey and is really giving the Bruins everything they could ask for. You know, it's really excellent that he could get that contract as well so that the Bruins can have him around and kind of be that, I think, that setup guy of the future. You know, I think that we talk about the Bruins needing someone that can step in for Krejci and or Bergeron when they, you know, ultimately decide that, that they're done playing. And Zaka is a guy that stepped in and has played really well. You know, his 24 assists are fifth or uh, sixth on the team behind Pasternak, Marchand, Krejci, McAvoy, and Hampus Lindholm. So he has 33 points on the season, starting to score some goals with nine this season. Um, he's definitely had some tough luck recently, but I think he will be starting to score, or hopefully starting to score some more goals. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably going to do it for the Bruins. We'll see how they do Wednesday night, 7.30 start in Toronto. So now we're going to jump over and talk about the Celtics. And uh, what a wild, absurd game that was um, Saturday night against the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, just kind of a wild, wild ending 
um, in that game. If you saw the Celtics, I think uh, definitely playing it really uh, close down to the wire uh, as they were able to get the win in overtime. Jalen Brown was fantastic, but in all seriousness, the game probably should not have gone to overtime. Um, if you saw the uh, the end of that game, LeBron James very clearly uh, fouled by Jason Tatum. So Celtics catch a break, you know, and LeBron has a meltdown for the ages. Um, and, you know, in all seriousness, though, rightfully so. You know, I think that very clearly was a foul, but it's just like I just could not believe the way that the – I don't know. It was just very a very chaotic and strange scene where, you know, LeBron believes he gets fouled and then, you know, throws a tantrum. And I just couldn't help but think that, okay, imagine if it was reversed. If Jason Tatum put on that song and dance that LeBron did, he probably would have been thrown from the game. So my thing is, I don't understand how LeBron didn't get a technical for that. You know, Patrick Beverly very clearly did get a technical for, you know, showing the camera to the official. That was the wildest thing I've ever seen. But, you know, I think this was a game that the Celtics had to grind. You know, it was a game that was not easy. They had to play a style of play that I think they're not great at playing. You know, the Lakers definitely tried to slow the pace as much as they could. You know, LeBron was really, really good in this game. And I think, you know, Tatum kept the Celtics in the game in the third. And then Jalen, just fantastic in the fourth and overtime. Um, and really kind of putting the team on his back when Jason, I think, very clearly did not have his best game uh, the other night. So, or did not have his have his best game on Saturday. But Jalen Brown definitely picked him up. Um, and the Celtics snapping a three-game losing streak, which... You know, I think definitely had some people frustrated, but I think if you look at some of these games, the Celtics have not been 100% healthy. You know, I think especially that Heat game the other night, and yes, the Celtics did blow a fourth quarter lead, but I think that, you know, when you're relying on pretty much only Jason Tatum for your scoring, you know, things are going to get difficult, and I think that's exactly what happened, you know, and you didn't have, you know, Smart, Brogdon, Al Horford, Rob Williams. They were all out of that game. So, oh, Angela Proud. So, you know, I think that those games you kind of take with a grain of salt. You know, the loss to the Knicks was definitely frustrating with Jalen Brown having a chance to, you know, make free throws to take the lead and missing them. But, you know, I think that you got to give him credit for the way that he responded on Saturday night, you know, put in a very similar situation late in regulation with a free throw to tie the game, and he knocked it down. So I think, you know, as good as the Celtics have been this season, stretches like this can be a big learning experience and, you know, can kind of be a way to show the team that, okay, this is the way that we need to play, and when we don't play this way, this is when we lose games, and this is when we kind of lose a little bit of our mojo, and I think that, yes, Marcus Smart has missed most of the last three games, or has missed the last three games and then most of the Orlando loss, but I think the Celtics can't use that as an excuse. You know, they have to be able to, you know, move the ball and play the way that they're the best at, and I think that's playing quickly, playing in transition. You know, I think competing on defense, which I think for the most part they did against the Lakers on Saturday. You know, LeBron is just LeBron, and he was fantastic. But I think that this is a team that needs to kind of get back to that defensive identity. And I think, yes, it is difficult when you're missing arguably your two best defensive players in Smart and Rob Williams. But I think the way the Celtics kind of competed in that game and grinded was good to see you know now should the Lakers have won that game yeah probably but you know I think the Celtics kind of did the best they could with what they had and I think you know I think going through kind of this bit of a rough stretch you know kind of makes sense without someone like Marcus Smart who 
you know, these games are showing us how important he is to this team. And I think he is a guy that is so good at pushing the pace, you know, and I think is someone that has really taken to his, the role that he has of being that, you know, being that point guard, the guy that gets everyone going, the guy that gets, you know, people people pumped up to play defense and, you know, his type of energy rubs off on the entire team. And I think when he's pushing the pace, when he's making plays, passing the ball, they're really dangerous. And I think that they've missed that. They've missed his ability to make things easier for the other offensive players. And I think that, yes, while Brown, while Brown and Brogdon and Jason had really good games on Saturday, Marcus Smart just makes everything work. Um, and I think that they've missed him the last four games. And I'm not sure the timetable on his ankle injury, but, you know, the Celtics hope to get him back as soon as possible. You know, probably the same thing with Rob Williams, too. Um, because the Celtics are just a much better team when they're fully healthy. You know, and I think that that's what we have to remember when we're watching these teams that, or this team at the moment, is they're not fully healthy. And I think, you know, again, teams are going to go through rough stretches and they're going to lose games and they're going to, you know, have games where they're kind of ugly. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it probably, you know, it should help the team, you know, that, they go through games like this and, you know, be able to be able to win a close game. And I think the Celtics have not exactly been the best at closing out those close games. And I think that, you know, whatever you want to say about LeBron and the, the, the non-foul or whatever, but I thought the Celtics closed that game pretty well. And I think we're able to make enough plays in overtime. And I think it was really massive to be able to get a win like that. Um, and I think getting some extra days off, getting some days of rest for Smart and for Rob Williams, depending on whether they return this week, you know, I think it's going to be huge. So, you know, they, they like the Bruins, have a massive uh, division game coming up um, as the Celtics play the Brooklyn uh, Nets Wednesday night at the Garden. So that is their next game. So Celtics do have quite a number of days off, but I think, you know, Jalen Brown making enough plays at the end was huge. Um, you know, I think that there's been some conversation about Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum's minutes. Um, and I think it's fair to be a little bit concerned the amount of minutes that Jason's playing. And hopefully, you know, that's something the team can monitor the rest of the season because the Celtics have the best record in the NBA, 36-15. And I think you can afford to give Jason a game off, you know, every couple of weeks or so, because I think playing him the amount of time that they're playing him, you know, yeah, the overtime games do not help. And I agree with Joe Missoula, but I think that there must be a way that the Celtics can, you know, give him some time off. But I think it is difficult when the Celtics themselves are not fully healthy. Um, and I think Jason as kind of an extra ball handler, you know, helps when they don't have Marcus Smart. So I'll be curious to see when Smart and Rob Williams come back. Celtics do have a decent amount of time for the All-Star or the uh, trade deadline. Um, but I think that it's something that I thought about Saturday night when watching the game and, you know, seeing how much the Celtics were struggling at corralling rebounds. And yes, that had a lot to do with Rob Williams not playing, but... I do think that the Celtics do need a little bit more of kind of front court depth um, in case Rob Williams, you know, misses some games here and there. And because the Lakers really dominated them on the offensive glass, you know, I think there was not a more obvious example than Pat Beverly, you know, dunking, dunking the putback late in the fourth quarter where it was like, okay, that is exactly the spot where Rob Williams would be grabbing the rebound and not letting Patrick Beverly, you know, have a putback dunk at the end of the game. So I think that the Celtics should seriously look at adding um, someone like uh, Pirtle from 
uh, or Daka Pirtle from the uh, Spurs. Um, but I think maybe the price might be a little high for someone like that, but I do think that they could use some more size. Um, and I think that it's, you know, a little unfortunate because I kind of think that I thought, you know, Blake Griffin was going to be that type of player, but the Celtics clearly, I don't want to say don't trust him enough, but, you know, he's barely played over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, Luke Cornett, I think is good in small spurts, but he's not someone that you can really have on the floor late in the game. And I think, unfortunately, the Celtics had to go to him in overtime when Grant Williams fouled out. But I think I'd feel a little bit more comfortable if they had a little bit more depth in that area. And, you know, Al Horford has been massive for this team this year, but he's getting up there. You know, he's not someone that can play or not someone that should be playing a lot of minutes. But, you know, I think it's just how it goes. But I think getting kind of another body would be really, really huge. And I do think that getting someone else off the bench, like a scorer, you know, would make a lot of sense. And I think that to Sam Hauser's credit, he played really well at the beginning of the year. But I think that to expect for him to be able to be a knockdown shooter off the bench the entire season is a little bit hard to expect. Now, I think he's played a little bit better recently, but I think the Celtics could use someone a little bit more consistent in terms of scoring the basketball. And, you know, could they look at someone like Terrence Ross? I think that would make sense. I don't know if the money would work, but I think someone with that type of skill set would make a lot of sense. And, you know, yeah, you could point to Gallinari that that's exactly the reason the Celtics went out and signed him. But, you know, I guess I'm going to be surprised if we see him, if we see him at all this season. You know, I do kind of have a small feeling that maybe he come back for the playoffs, but I think that would be a lot of a lot of the Celtics to ask of him, you know, if he's missed the whole season and then to come in in the playoffs. But, you know, if he wants to play and feels that he could be a valuable addition if he's healthy enough, then I think there's no reason the Celtics would say no. But I think, you know, it just would be something that the Celtics would have to you know, get him up to speed, because I think, in my opinion, if he's going to play, you don't want his first game to be in the playoffs. You know, you would want to be able to give him a game or two at the end of the regular season, but, you know, who really knows where he is with his recovery? You know, clearly he's been able to do some jogging and standstill shooting, as maybe we've seen from videos, but, you know, playing in a full-speed NBA game is not the same thing. So, you know, I think that he's someone that could come back, but I think the Celtics could use a little bit more offense coming off the bench. So it'd be curious to see what the Celtics do. I mean, I don't really, they're not really in a position where they can do a lot. I think just in terms of where they are in terms of money, you know, I don't think that they would trade Grant Williams. I'd be surprised, but I think, you know, I don't, I guess I'm just, not sure about his money situation and, you know, are the Celtics going to be planning to bring him back in the off season? But I think that it would kind of be a little too major of a move to make. I think especially if you have the best record in the NBA, you don't want to be trading one of your, you know, main rotation players, you know, unless it's for a player that is about the same type of productive player as Grant Williams is. Um, but I think front court depth and then adding, you know, maybe some wing scoring off the bench, you know, would help this team. Um, so we'll obviously talk more about that as we get closer to the trade deadline. Trade deadline is February 9th, which is a Thursday before the Celtics play a home game in or home game at the Garden against Charlotte. Celtics next game is Wednesday night at the Garden against Brooklyn, and then they will face off against the Phoenix Suns on Friday night. So that is what's coming up for the Celtics. So I think we're going to move over. We're going to talk a little bit about the Patriots, who have finally named an offensive coordinator last week. Bill O'Brien is officially back, will be the offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach. So um, a role that I think he held while he was here in New England and then also in um, 
also the last two seasons at Alabama. So I think, as I've said kind of all along, it's kind of the, the easiest thing the Patriots could have done. You know, I think that in terms of breaking down exact X's and O's and what they're going to try to do, kind of not sure about that, but I think given the familiarity that Bill O'Brien has with Mac Jones, you know, Mac Jones was the person that helped Bill understand the Alabama offense before he became the offensive coordinator two years ago at Alabama. You know, I think that it's good to have some familiarity as the two of them are familiar with each other, have worked together, maybe not necessarily on the field, but I think two guys that are familiar with each other. And I think having someone like that is going to be able to get the most out of Mac Jones and be able to see some progression from his rookie season and progression from this season. Uh, And I think it can only be a good thing. You know, I think getting an offensive coordinator that's going to make things easier for the quarterback is the best thing you could do. Now, I think what they're going to do schematically, I'm not really sure, but I do think that there are a number of things that the Patriots can do um, to try to get more out of their quarterback. And I think one of the first things, maybe not the sexiest thing, but I think getting a pass, a pass-catching running back uh, would make a lot of sense. Now, I've kind of been beating that drum for weeks, even during the season, that the Patriots need someone like that, kind of a safety valve for Mac Jones. And I know that Ramondre Stevenson did a lot of that this season, but I do think that the Patriots need to have him, in my opinion, I think they need to have him focus on more of being a runner. And it's not to say that I want him to eliminate pass catching, but I think that they need someone like James White or like Ty Montgomery that they had and he got hurt week one. They need someone like that that I think can be able to make catches on screen passes, be able to make quick moves. You know, it's James White, essentially. Someone that can play a James White role, I think would make things a lot easier for Mac. And I think that figuring out what the plan is with the receiver room. Now, I think clearly you have a couple free agents, you know, someone that I think has no chance of coming back with Nelson Aguilar, and then someone that should be back with Jacoby Myers. And I think what the Patriots do there, you know, kind of will determine, I think, what the rest of the offseason looks like. Do the Patriots extend Jacoby Myers? Do they try to get kind of a, I don't want to use the term veteran receiver, um, but like getting a big-time receiver that you could get on the trade Again, you could get on the trade market that can kind of help improve your offense because the Patriots clearly, if Aguilar is not going to be coming back, they're going to need to get an extra body in there because I think at the moment it's only Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton that are receivers that are under contract for next season. So, you know, I think getting someone like DeAndre Hopkins would make a lot of sense. Now, I'm not sure about his and Bill O'Brien's relationship, but I think clearly if Hopkins wants to come to the Patriots, he'll be able to come here, you know, and I think put whatever issues he has with Bill O'Brien behind, but who knows? You know, I don't think we know whether the two of them have a good relationship now or not, you know, who knows, but he certainly would make a lot of sense. You know, I think that with the Cardinals reportedly looking at trading him. I think that there could be an argument made that the Patriots do have, could make a pretty good offer to Arizona to try to bring him in. But I also think there are other receivers the Patriots could look at. You know, I think that DJ Moore from Carolina is a name that I think I've heard before. You know, you could look at someone like that. You know, do you check in on the Tampa Bay receivers if Tom Brady doesn't return, you know, I think Hunter Renfro is also a name that could be floated around. You know, I think Vegas might be, could possibly be looking to trade him. Um, but I think, 
Oh, there's someone else. Oh, Jerry Judy. That's what I was going to say. Um, so Jerry Judy was Mac Jones's roommate at Alabama, played there for a couple of years, and I think has some really good ability, played really well considering the issues that Denver's offense had um, this past season. So he could be someone that the Patriots could look at. So I think, do they necessarily need a DeAndre Hopkins? I don't think so. You know, I think could they use one of those other receivers that I mentioned? I think that they could, but I think, I guess I'm just curious to see what the plan is going to be at that spot. You know, the tight ends are going to be the tight ends. Hopefully the Patriots can get more out of both of those guys. Um, But I think the biggest thing for me is just making things simple, making things easier for your quarterback. And I think the Patriots tried to do that this past season, but I think it was a little bit too simple. And I think that bringing in Bill O'Brien, someone that has experience with running an offense, you know, and kind of knows what the expectation is around here in New England. Um, And I think also considering kind of the, I don't want to say the new age of the NFL, but I think working in kind of new wrinkles in the offense and, you know, different ways that you can keep defenses off balance. So I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is definitely the, pass catching running back, you know, figure out what you're doing in the passing game, you know, what the plan is. But I also think, you know, offensive line kind of needs a little bit of an overhaul. Uh, Be curious to see if they do indeed hire Adrian Clem, who is, um, I think, in for an offensive coordinator interview a couple weeks ago, uh, was the run game coordinator and associate head coach um, at the University of Oregon this past season. So the Patriots could bring him in, you know, and I think kind of make some sweeping changes on the offensive line. I think particularly at either tackle, um, that's definitely a need the Patriots have going into the draft and going into free agency. You know, I think it'd be curious to see what the Patriots' thought process is because I think there legitimately could be a reason that they could sign a tackle in free agency, someone like Mike McGlinchey or Orlando Brown. And then also look at someone to draft um, as well. The Patriots, you know, I think last season will tell you that they were pretty successful in drafting alignment in the first round as much as people want to bitch and moan that it wasn't a receiver. (laughs) They drafted a starter. They drafted someone that started all 17 games. So, you know, I think the Patriots kind of know what they're doing. You know, certainly not all draft picks are the same. Yeah, I can hear people being like, oh, well, Nikhil Harry. Well, not everyone works out, but the Patriots did draft a starter last year in the first round and had a pretty good draft. So, you know, I think where they're picking at number 14, certainly there could be a lot of big names available, but the Patriots kind of have to do the simple thing. And I think the simple thing is drafting a tackle because if you don't have a good offensive line, who cares what your weapons are? You know, you could trade for DeAndre Hopkins and have him and Jacoby Myers be your number two, be your one and two. But if you don't have a good quality offensive line, you know, it doesn't matter. So, you know, as much as people want them to draft a wide receiver in the first round, I think that that's moronic because this is not a deep wide receiver draft. And I think you could get some good value later in the draft if you do decide to draft a receiver. But I think you have to look at the bigger need and the bigger need is the offensive line in my opinion. So, you know, I think, you know, other positions that they could look at, you know, in the draft, I think defensively, there's some interesting spots that I'm kind of curious to see how that develops. You know, what do they look at in free agency? Do they look at bringing in, another edge rusher to pair opposite Matt Judon? Do they think that Josh Uche can be kind of that other guy? Do they think they need another body? You know, it's curious. To, I'm curious to see what happens with Jonathan Jones. It's not a very deep cornerback, uh, cornerback class in free agency, so it stands to reason that he could get a really big offer. So, 
do the Patriots consider bringing him back? You know, do they look at someone else? Do they draft someone else? You know, I think that that's definitely an interesting spot as well. Um, but I think I'm looking forward to seeing what this offense or what this offseason brings. You know, I think it is exciting that the Patriots coaching staff are at uh, the uh, Shrine Bowl, which I believe is this weekend. Um, so really need to see some of these other Patriot coaches, you know, getting experience, you know, getting involved in coaching some of these college seniors or guys that will be going into the draft. So I think you will definitely see some Patriots or some future Patriots at this event. Patriots, I believe, drafted a couple of players in the last couple of years that have played in this bowl. Um, there are some worthy names just to look at. Um, Kenny McIntosh out of Georgia is a running back that I think the Patriots could definitely take a look at with a dual threat guy that had uh, 43 catches out of the backfield last season. Um, obviously, people are going to be talking about uh, uh, Zay Flowers, the wide receiver at Boston College, certainly could be someone the Patriots look at. Um, offensive line, I think, is a really interesting um, spot to look at, although I'm not sure if any of these guys that the Patriots would look at um, in the draft are going to be playing in this game. Um, but I think definitely it will be a worthwhile thing to kind of keep your eyes on. So I think... That's probably going to be it for the Patriots. Not too much Red Sox news, although they did uh, make a trade last week. Josh Taylor going to the Royals for Alberto Mondesi, who, yes, is the son of Raul Mondesi. He used to be a, or is a former um, MLB, uh, MLB player. Uh, I'll just pull up his stats in a moment. But uh, the Red Sox getting someone that can play shortstop, that's for sure. But... Uh, Mondesi isn't exactly a guy that's been able to stay healthy, so there's definitely a little bit of a concern there, but um, he's a guy that I think is, you know, good speed, has a really good glove, but it's just kind of comes back to the, the, the health part. You know, he's a guy that only played 15 games last season, 35 the year before, and 59 the year before, so. It's not like some. It's not like a guy that's been consistently in the lineup, um, but does have great speed, does have a really good glove. So, you know, you'll kind of hope that he could stay healthy and help the Red Sox in that middle infield. Um, so, really, that's kind of it for the Red Sox. Just making that trade, and you know, a couple weeks, and we'll be talking about you know spring training and you know getting the getting the equipment truck down there. And, you know, it's not a season that I think a lot of people, including myself, have a lot of big expectations. But I kind of was excited with some of the things that Adam Duvall was saying last week in an interview that, you know, kind of believes that they have a good group of guys and they have a group that is excited um, to get to play. And I think that, you know, no, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I expect them to win 90 plus games you know that would be really optimistic but I think just hearing something like that kind of makes you feel a little bit different you know and I know that a lot of people have a lot of kind of negative thoughts about where this team is exactly going and it's understandable you know the Red Sox are going into a season where they're relying on Chris Sale who's not pitched a full season in a couple of years to kind of be their number one, you know, they're relying on a, you know, outfielder from Japan that you kind of don't really know how he's going to do, you know, relying on someone like Tristan Casas to be a power bat in the lineup when he didn't hit, you know, couldn't even hit 190 last year. But, you know, granted, that was a small, very small sample size. But, you know, this is a team that's relying on a lot. But, you know, who knows? I think that there could be a thought that this is a team that could do very well next season because there's no expectation. Um, you know, it's hard to know. It could really go 
a thousand different ways. You know, they could win 70 games, they could win 90 games, you know, this could be a 2013 type team where, you know, they weren't exactly making the sexiest moves in the offseason. You know, that was an offseason when they signed Mike Napoli and Shane Victorino and, you know, these guys are old, these guys aren't good baseball players anymore and they won a World Series, you know. I'm not going to say that I think this team is going to win a World Series, but I think there's something to be said for coming into a spring training with the right attitude. And I think hopefully these guys can have a good attitude. They can have, you know, a good locker room. And yes, losing Bogart sucks, but they have Justin Turner in that locker room. It's a guy that's been around for a long time and, you know, is very well-liked wherever he's been. And I think it's a team and a manager that I think I have a little bit of faith in. You know, we'll kind of see see what happens but you know it's uh definitely a team that could make some noise you know if there's things that go right but i do think a lot of has to go right for this team uh, to be a good baseball team but you know i don't know <laughs> it's really difficult you know i wish i had more of a kind of definitive take on this team but i think it's just there's a lot of questions you know there's a lot of questions and a lot of questions in really key areas, but I do think that the Red Sox did a good job at addressing the bullpen. You know, that was kind of my biggest takeaway from this offseason, and obviously I think there still could be moves this offseason, but I think, you know, the bullpen's going to look very different. You know, Matt, Bar Matt Barnes isn't going to be around. You know, he's designated for assignment last week. They traded Josh Taylor, although he didn't pitch at all last season. Um, but I think they got Kenley Jansen, they got Chris Martin, you know. And I think that it's going to be a bullpen that's going to be a lot better, that they're going to be able to hold on to late leads. But I think really it hinges on the pitching rotation and can these guys stay healthy? Can they get a good bounce back year from Chris Sale? Can they get the same thing from Corey Kluber? You know, can... Garrett Whitlock kind of solidify a spot. You know, can they get consistent outings from Bayo? You know, I'm really excited to see him pitch this season. So I think that's probably it talking about the Red Sox. Uh, I think I'm going to just get to some other news items. You may have uh, watched a couple of uh, football games yesterday, the AFC and NFC championship games. Well, unfortunately, one of them was a bit of a dud, um, you know, with the Eagles steamrolling the 49ers with uh, Brock Purdy getting hurt in that first quarter. You know, tried to come back in the game, but really could not throw the football more than, you know, five yards downfield. So, you know, to the Eagles' credit, they took advantage. And I think that even if Purdy was healthy, I still think the Eagles win that game. I think their defense was tremendous in this game. You know, there's a pass rush and a defensive line that is the best in the league for a reason. And I think, you know, I don't think that they necessarily played their best offensive game. You know, Jalen Hurts was not very good. You know, if you look at his numbers, I think that the Eagles definitely did more damage on the ground. But I think... They did kind of take advantage of 40, the 49ers, you know, ineptitude on offense, which, you know, is understandable. They're playing with a fourth-string quarterback and then had to get Christian McCaffrey to play quarterback uh, for some of the second half. But this is an Eagles team that's been the best team in the league pretty much start to finish. You know, they stumbled maybe a little bit toward the end of the regular season. But I think when this team has it all working for them, they're very hard to beat. But... I don't think that they necessarily needed their best yesterday. And, you know, I think that it's, you know, yes, they've been the best team, but it's like, you, I kind of wonder in the back of my head, have they really played the absolute best teams in the league this year? The answer is probably no. You know, if you look at the playoff teams they've played, they played a Giants team that I think really overachieved and, you know, no disrespect to them, but they weren't supposed to be in the playoffs this year. You know, the Eagles took care of business in that game, took care of their 
took care of business yesterday, but, you know, against a team that played most of the game with, you know, an offense that could barely throw the ball downfield. So, you know, I think you kind of consider the things that they've played against in the playoffs, but they also have been, you know, a really good, really good defensive unit, a really good run, run team. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do uh, two weeks from now, because I think as much as the final score says that they dominated offensively, they really didn't play well in this game. So I still think that they're the favorite going into the Super Bowl, but offensively, they have to play a lot better um, because who they're playing in the Super Bowl, you know, you have to be at your best offensively because if you're not, you will lose. So, you know, good for the Eagles getting into the Super Bowl, you know, as a team that I had a lot of high expectations for um, at the beginning of the season. And they proved me right. You know, Nick Sirianni was a guy that I had picked for coach of the year um, at the beginning of the season. And here the Eagles are one win away from winning a championship. So um, good stuff there. So the Eagles win 31-7. They will face the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs beating the Bengals last night. 23-20 game-winning field goal with seconds left after a, uh, a late hit out-of-bounds penalty that put them in field goal range. Um, you know, can't help but feel for uh, Joseph Asai, who, you know, unfortunately shoved Mahomes out-of-bounds after he was well out-of-bounds. And, you know, the Bengals, unfortunately, suffering a really tough loss in a game that I think they did not get a good whistle all night. And I think that, yes, as much as that last play had nothing to do with bad officiating, there were a number of examples that they, I think, in my opinion, kind of got jobbed. But, you know, at the end of the day, the referees are the referees, the whistle is the whistle, and, you know, you have to play through it. And I think it's it's unfortunate that I think officiating has gotten in the way of some of these games this season. You know, I think that was probably one of the, if not the worst officiated game of the season, but, you know, hey, the Chiefs know how to get it done and they've done it time and time again. And, you know, they came up with enough big plays to win. You know, I thought that the Bengals did a tremendous job coming back and, you know, having a chance to try to win the game, but, you know, another really good game. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Chiefs do um, in the Super Bowl two weeks from now with, you know, Mahomes, I think, very clearly still hobbled. You know, pretty impressive that he was able to play through that injury and, you know, kind of will his team to win, will his team to victory. But I just like having to play against that Eagles defensive front, not at 100%. I'm just concerned that I'm not sure if the Chiefs are going to be able to have enough to beat Philadelphia because... You know, the Chiefs had a number of their receivers leave the game with injuries. You know, Mahomes is still playing on a pretty severely sprained ankle. So, you know, curious to see how he looks in two weeks, because that is a decent amount of time off. But, you know, I just, I think as much as the Chiefs were able to get out a win, I just look at that Eagles team and I just don't really know where the Chiefs can beat them. You know, where are the weaknesses in the Eagles team? And, you know, sure, the Eagles didn't play their best offensively, but I wouldn't say the Chiefs' defense is necessarily like a world-beating defense. You know, the Eagles struggled, but again, they did struggle against probably the best defensive unit that's not their own um, with how good that 49ers' defense is and, you know, really, to be honest, kept them in the game for most of the game yesterday. So, you know, I don't really think Kansas City's defense is as good as San Francisco's. You know, sure, Spagnolo is a great coordinator and has, you know, coached, uh, coached Super Bowl wins before, you know. I know that pretty well as a Patriots fan, but I think the Eagles should absolutely be the favorite going into this game, you know, and I think it'd be interesting to see what Mahomes looks like in two weeks, but I think as much as the Eagles didn't play well offensively in this game, I still expect them to win the Super Bowl because I think top to bottom, they are a better team. And I think that they're, I don't want to say considerably better, but 
I think from what they've shown this year, they've kind of been a considerably better team than the Chiefs, who I think have had to gut out a couple of very close games in the playoffs. Now, you know, you could see, you could say that that's a positive, that they've been able to play in games that are close and be able to get it done. But I think the Eagles are a team, it's just like, they're like an avalanche, you know, they come at you early and often and, you know, take advantage of every little mistake that you'll make. So, you know, obviously we'll talk way more about this, you know, in a week when it's, you know, Super Bowl week, but it should be an exciting Super Bowl in Glendale uh, on the 12th of February. So I think we'll just take a look at some other notes. Frank Reich is the new head coach in Carolina Panthers making that announcement last week. Um, Dallas Cowboys will not be returning Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator. And the Dolphins are hiring Vic Fangio uh, to be their defensive coordinator. That was news yesterday. So I think we're going to take a look back at the take a look at the uh, NHL kind of notes and standings. We'll circle back to the NBA in a moment. Um, the um, Seattle Kraken all-star Matty Beniers will miss the next two games. Hopefully he gets healthy enough to play in the all-star game. The Hang of Natives had a really good season for Seattle this year. Um, as the All-Star game comes up this weekend. Um, there is a game on the NHL schedule tonight, St. Louis and Winnipeg at 8 o'clock on the NHL Network. We'll take a look at the standings here. Uh, Bruins obviously still lead the pack in the Atlantic with an 11-point lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Bruins obviously will play them Wednesday night, so that will be uh, curious, to, uh, curious to see um, how that game goes. Tampa Bay in third place with 65 points. Bruins have 81 in the Metro. Carolina leads the division with 72 points, followed by the Devils with 68, and then the Rangers with 62 in the wildcard spots. Washington in first with 58 points, and then Pittsburgh, the last wildcard spot with 57 points. But it's getting pretty close. The Sabres just a point back of Pittsburgh. The Islanders two points back. And the Panthers are three points back. We'll take a look at the Western Conference. Dallas leads the conference and the Central Division with 66 points. Winnipeg with 63 and then Minnesota 58. Seattle now leads the Pacific with 63 points, followed by Vegas and the LA Kings with 62. And then in the wildcard spots, Edmonton with 60 points, Colorado with 57 Calgary is even in points, and Nashville is three points back at that final playoff spot. Also got some news uh, this morning that Hall of Famer uh, Bobby Hull has passed away at the age of 84. He's a former uh, Chicago Blackhawks great. Uh, helped the Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup in 1961. Played 15 seasons in Chicago as the franchi franchise's all-time leader in goals scored with 604. And the Maple Leafs announced that uh, Matthew Mur Matt Murray will be out for their bye week with an ankle injury, but, you know, clearly is a bye week for them, so decent timing there. Uh, we'll take a look over at the NBA. Well, actually, I did want to take a look at the All-Star starters at those as those got announced last week. Um... The Pacers and Miles Turner agreeing to a new extension, two years for $60 million. Giannis with 50 points again for the second time this season. And then LeBron James obviously coming pretty close to breaking Kareem's um, all-time scoring record, I think is just over 100 points short. Um, so that will obviously be something to watch in the coming weeks. The starters in the... Uh, all-Star Game have been announced with LeBron, Jokic, Steph Curry, Luka, 
and Zion Williamson, the starters for the Western Conference. LeBron is the captain. So I believe that they're going to be doing the voting or they're going to be doing the teams differently as I think the cap captains for each team will pick their teams, kind of be like a playground-style pick, which will be pretty exciting. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that in the Eastern Conference. Giannis, Kyrie Irving, Donny, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Durant, and Jason Tatum, the all-star starters. So exciting honor for Jason Tatum to be a starter for the second year in a row. Jalen Brown will almost certainly be a reserve if they think those are announced later this week. So it'll be interesting to see if both of them get to play um, together. So I think that the captains pick the starters first um, and then pick the remaining players. So I kind of am not sure why they, you know, separate the East and West, but, you know, whatever. It's kind of just a semantics type of thing. Um, All-Star Weekend is February 17th to the 19th. With the Rising Stars Challenge on Friday, the um, All-Star Skills Competition Saturday, and then the game on Sunday, so the 17th, 18th, and 19th in Utah. So we'll take a look at some NBA games tonight, quite a few. 7 o'clock, the Magic and the Sixers play, and then 7.30 on NBA TV, the Lakers and the Nets, and then a couple games at 8 o'clock, the Kings and the Timberwolves, the Warriors and the Thunder, the Wizards and the Spurs, and then at 8.30, Mavericks and the Pistons, 9 o'clock, Toronto and Phoenix, and then 10 o'clock on NBA TV, the Hawks and the Trailblazers. So we'll take a look at the NBA standings. Celtics still maintain the top spot in the Eastern Conference, a two-and-a-half game lead over both Philadelphia and Milwaukee. So Philly in second, they've won seven in a row. The Bucks are in third. They've won four in a row, still two and a half back of the Celtics. The Nets are in fourth place, five games back. Celtics will play the Nets Wednesday night at the Garden. And then the Cavaliers are in fifth. Heat are in sixth. And then the play-in spots, the Knicks in seventh, Hawks in eighth. And then the Wizards in ninth and the Bulls in tenth with the Pacers just a half game out of that final spot. And the Raptors are also a game back or are a game back of the Bulls for that last spot as well. Uh, the Western Conference it is even with Denver and Memphis. Or no, sorry, I read that wrong. <laughs> Denver is in first place in the West, a two-game lead over Memphis. And then the Kings are in third place, followed by the Clippers in fourth, Timberwolves in fifth, Warriors in sixth, and then the play-in spots, Dallas in seventh, Pelicans in eighth, Suns in ninth, Jazz in tenth, and then the Thunder are a half game back of the Jazz for that final play-in spot. So I think it's getting very interesting in the Western Conference. So um, I think it's probably probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, great to be back with you folks and uh, looking forward to Guest Friday later this week as we'll uh, preview the Revolution up, Revolution's upcoming season. Really excited uh, to get into that. So We'll talk to you folks on Friday, and everyone have a great week.